G'day and welcome to another instalment of the Fly Fishers podcast. Since 1967, we've been spreading the bug of fly fishing at our Melbourne fly shop. Join us as we celebrate the fun of fly fishing and chat with characters that enjoy it as much as we do. Whether you're just starting out or have some experience, we hope our ego-free commentary helps demystify fly fishing and inspires you to visit new places and try new techniques. In today's episode of Meet the Team, I'm joined by Peter Panopoulos. Every new member of our team brings something to the table, and in Peter's case, it's the Fly Fishers podcast. Listeners can thank him for that when they next visit. Peter first came to our attention on the other side of the counter, regularly popping in to top up his fly box and absorbing every bit of intel we could provide. Peter finished school in 2021. He realised that to fuel the car and afford beer in a post-pandemic world, he would have to hustle. So he got himself a job at JB Hi-Fi. It's that customer service training that had him hit the ground running when he started at the Fly Fisher. Of course, being 18 years younger than myself, Peter looks at fly fishing through a fresh lens. It's his passion and ideas that are helping push the Fly Fisher into a new era. Peter, welcome. How are you? I'm good, mate. Yeah. It's a very glowing uh, introduction. <laughs> Being a bit generous. Though. Wow. You know, you've always got to add a bit of mayo to an intro, don't yeah, you, to yeah. make it sound yeah. good? Yeah. <laughs> Just to suck the, the listeners in, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. You've got to make, make the guests sound interesting. Um, so, yeah, 18. That's a, does that seem like a long time ago for it, you? It does now. Yeah. It, it really does. How old are you now? I'm 20 now. Yeah. Um, it, I think it just so much changes from graduating high school to being second year uni. You know, yeah, it just it's a different realm, right? You go from really living under your parents' wing in high school to it's just like, you know, I'm still at home, but it feels like you're a little bit more on your own. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you did get going pretty early after school, right? When did you get the job at, at JB? Was that? Oh, I was working at JB still in high school. Oh, so right. I was, yeah, okay. one of the youngest people to <laughs> work at JB. Yeah. Um, I started there when I was 16, I yep. think. And it was pretty awesome. I started in the storeroom because you're not meant to be on the sales floor um, as a 16-year-old. Um, but Not they, straight legal. Not straight legal, yeah. But they quickly realised that I, you know, I, I had the gift of the gab and I could jump onto the sales floor when it was really busy. Yeah. Just palm all my final sales off to someone of age. <laughs> <laughs> and you enjoyed that? I loved it. Yeah. Like it's that helping customers get the most out of what they're buying. Yeah. You know, it's... And a kind of fast-paced retail environment too, Absolutely, right? yeah. But then, you know, you still have bigger purchases at JB. When someone comes in to buy a $10,000 TV, you know, you want them to know what they're buying and yeah. consider what they're and buying. And take the time with them and yeah. really educate the customer. That's right, yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool. Um, so you grew up in Melbourne, is that right? Yeah, I grew up in Northcote, yep. born and bred. Mum and dad, Northcote, born and bred too. Oh, Haven't wow. really moved far. <laughs> 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 really broadening your horizons coming to South Melbourne. Yeah, though. I know. It's a, it's a different change on this side of the Yarra, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, as far as someone that is born and bred city, though, you, you strike me as someone that has spent a bit of time in the bush and, you know, you've actually, you do get out of Melbourne. Where, where, where did that come from? I've really got my grandparents to thank for that. Like, they've had a place at Ngambi forever. Um, they started in the caravan park, then they bought a house. And that's awesome. Just riding motorbikes around, shooting guns, going fishing on the Goulburn for cod and redfin and carp, you know. It, it, that was the sort of thing getting up there, you know, a couple of times a month helped nurture that passion when I was younger. Yeah. You know, obviously, once you turn 18, you got your licence. But before that, you're depending on them to 
get away. Um, and I was lucky I had a good friend in school, Miles, who yep. his parents had a place at Warburton, which is on the Yarra, one of the best or better trout streams closer to Melbourne. So that really helped fuel my trout fishing and yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. But going back fishing for you, when did that start and be- become a thing? Do you remember? Oh, no, because I was so young. So, yeah. you know, dad's like, oh, yeah, your mum caught a hammerhead shark when – you know, you were still in her stomach off Lawn Pier and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Why was mum pregnant and fishing? Like, <laughs> she didn't have a choice. Know, yeah, she didn't have a choice. Yeah. That's right. But yeah, as far back as I can remember, I was out fishing the bay with dad. Or, you know, we did trips to Burmy regularly when I was younger. And yeah, uh, my other grandparents have a house at Rye, so spent a lot of time down there. Okay. You know, there's yeah, photos good. of me being three holding snapper. Or, you know, with a snapper next to me that's bigger than me, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. unreal, mate. And um, it, would you say that uh, you got a lot of support in those early days? You know, like, was it encouraged fishing for you um, amongst family members? Yeah, so dad was the big driver behind it. Um, and it was encouragement, but also you're coming fishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is amazing because, you know, you quite often hear about parents that force their kids into things they don't pick up the passion yeah. but I think I just dad was very supportive of me you know yeah whatever sort of fishing I wanted to do yeah you know, being young I wanted to fish with lures where he's just a bait soaker <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like squid fishing that sort of stuff I loved and dad yeah. supported that yeah and when did the fly fishing thing come onto your horizon well wow, that's a bit of a complicated one so dad Wanted to get into fly fishing before he had kids. Um, so had everything, you know, waders, fly gear, uh, rod reel, um, a river somewhere on DVD, as anyone from that era has. Yeah. Um, and he never really got time to sort of, like, have a crack at it just because it, it's a bigger learning experience if you don't have – it's a big learning experience fly fishing coming from conventional fishing. And I think when you've got three kids – dedicating time to learning a whole new technique is can be challenging it, it, not saying it can't be done but it's more challenging it just takes that little bit of extra commitment and balls I'd balls say. Yeah, yeah 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 that's <laughs> right yeah um so that yeah dad had lots of fly tackle lying around so i'd get out in the backyard with a fly rod and cast and yeah try to follow youtube tutorials and read books um Whenever he went to Complete Angler Melbourne, I'd come in and into yep. the fly fisher. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like uh, the rivers, uh, River Somewhere, the DVDs really were big for me. I'd watch them weekly almost. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah, yeah unreal, mate. Yeah. Um, but when did the first trout actually hit the net oh. with a fly? Do you recall? Yes. Uh, so I was lucky enough, my high school girlfriend – um, girlfriend's family took me away to Merijig to stay at one of the horse riding lodges there yeah. and I fished the Dalla Tight River and caught my first trout. I would have been 16 on a indie clink. Oh, yeah, um, nice. Yeah, n- absolutely clueless as to what I'm doing, like seven foot six, three weight just out there, but that yeah. was the first trout, yeah. Yeah, well done, mate. Yeah. Um, so you, you can pretty safely say that you, you were self-taught to the point of actually catching your first trout. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are, but I think a lot of people think that it's more complicated than that. That's right. Yeah. But credit where it's due, you know, like getting good help early does fast track oh. everything exponentially. Oh, <laughs> you know, I spent three days fishing a Dalatite and I caught two fish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and everyone knows how many fish there are in a Dalatite. Yeah. You know, that's not many fish for 
three days of fishing. Yeah, for sure. You know, I feel like, you know, now when I go to the Dalatite, you pick up a few more than two fish over three days. Yeah. Um, yeah, but if I had a little bit more guidance, then it would have helped a lot. Yeah. Um, the second earliest memory I have of fly fishing was absolutely pestering mum to take me up to the Taggarty. Oh, yeah. Um, so she could go have a look around the very limited shops in Marysville. <laughs> <laughs> very limited shops. Yeah. Um, and I had she a should have gone to Lilydale. I know. She, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Real cultural experience. <laughs> um, and I had an absolute cracking day. So it was like, I think I picked up six trout or something. Yeah. Rainbows, yeah. Unreal. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's time for a short break to talk about the legends who bring this podcast to life. Our committed team at The Fly Fisher prepare, record and edit in-house in South Melbourne. We put huge effort in for you listeners. We hope that means when it comes time to make a fly fishing purchase, you consider us. With your loyalty, we can keep producing these podcasts and bringing you the world's best fly fishing gear. So shop smart and support the fly shop that supports you. Um, so you, you've been at the fly fisher for a little while now. Um, wh- what is it you like about working in the fly fisher most, do you think? Oh, there's so many different, different aspects that I like. And I think that's what keeps it interesting. The bit I like the most is that interaction with the customer. And I think a lot of us or all of us here, that's what the draw is like helping people get the most out of their fly fishing. Yeah. Um, but also the exchange of knowledge too, you know, you can give the customer something, the customer can give you something and it almost helps to be, you know, as much as we're selling products, it helps to listen to the customer Mm. a lot more because then you can actually give them a better solution too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you find that your fishing has maybe entered a new realm because of the advice you're getting from, from customers? Oh, 110%. You're exposed to older guys, younger guys, you know, um, especially the comp sort of fishing and things like that. Um, the explosion of that and people picking up more competition techniques in their everyday fishing is yeah. amazing. But even just like techniques that are forgotten about that get bought up. Yeah, yeah. You know? So in that last sort of eighteen months you've been with us, uh, your your fly fishing's obviously grown quite substantially oh, mate, at a rate of knots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, maybe just talk a little bit more about how immersing yourself in fly fishing in that way really does fast track your fly fishing. Oh, when you're working in fly fishing, you're fly fishing helping run a fly fishing podcast yeah and it's all around you you wake up every day and you're thinking about fly fishing it's just insane how you know how much it it exhilarates your fly fishing yeah and um, we're we're lucky aren't we because we are so in touch with some of australia's best fly fishers that are just so willing to share you oh, know they're people, great ambassadors yeah. for fly fishing aren't they yeah and i think fly fishing's come a million miles in that willing to share knowledge and things like that you know i think there's often still a perception that it's an old boys club and it's you know but that's changed now completely everyone's willing to share information yeah everyone yeah for sure yeah. when you wake up every day thinking about fly fishing it yeah yeah isn't it crazy how you know both of us are on the same page with that yeah we uh it's our job it's what we think of at night. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we think of when we get out of bed talk, in the morning. Talk to girls about on dates. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to stop doing that. Oh, no. You're repelling them. I don't think they, they really care about the Mayfly life cycle too much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe try caddis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, um, I, I, 
just want to talk a little bit about something. You, you, you taught us a new word when you started, and that word is uh, riz. Um, <laughs> so it, it's just found its way into, I think, the urban dictionary, maybe even the real dictionary now. But um, for those uh, that haven't heard the term before, riz is short for charisma, and it simply means an ability to charm a person. Um, Peter often expands on Riz with things like Rizzing, Rizzed and Rizmus. Um, Peter, are you the Greek Riz master? I prefer the term Rizly Bear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'll take Greek Riz master. Um, Is, I think Cody gave us that one, didn't he? Rizly Bear. Rizly Bears, yeah. yeah you got to watch out for those Rizly Bears. Um, yeah, I think that's a skill that's kind of going backwards these days, like people just being able to have a conversation with anyone. And I think if you can harness that skill to get on the riz, whether it's romantically or just, you know, have Mm. a bit of charisma with your mates, um, it will put you miles ahead. It's everything. Anyway, it it is everything. The gift of the gab, the riz, all the same thing, Yeah, you know. Um, and you've uh, developed some some good sort of friendships maybe based on your, your use of riz. Oh, Would you say? Yeah. My ability to Riz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can utilise the Riz to develop some really good friendships. Absolutely, yeah. mate. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, and you, I noticed you, you, you're not very competitive when it comes to our morning swims at MSAC, um, but you can get a bit competitive on the water. Where do you think that competitiveness comes from? <laughs> yeah, you've stumped me a little bit there. Um, definitely not competitive in the swims at MSAC, especially not with uh, <laughs> with your wife, Lauren. There's yeah, when no Lauren's there, there's no competition. No, we don't no. even try. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question. I've always grown up playing sport, so I played football for oh, since under nine, oh, since I was kicked through to nineteen, basically. Um, played netball competitively. I think just that wanting to just be be the best. Yeah. As much as it sounds a little bit wankerish, but you know, I think I'm competitive with my fishing in the you know friendly, yeah, competitiveness. Yeah, I, I that competition fishing really, you know, yeah, um, is attractive to me, but not so much for being the best, just for accelerating my learning. And I think being competitive allows you to be better. Yeah, like develop your skills more. Yeah. Yeah, and you're you're constantly growing. Aren't yeah, you? that's right. It's that, yeah. that thirst, that burn yeah. for more. You 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 know. Couldn't agree more, mate. Yeah. Um, and you know, fly fishing as a a pastime, it uh, it seems to always have something new, a new chapter, something to offer. Um, I personally, I'm I'm frothing seeing you attack each new chapter. Um, you know more. It can be something as simple as a, a new item of, of gear that you're excited about um, or a new technique or a new location or, you know, like you, over the last 18 months you've had, um, I guess, a fair bit of that, like Tassie, for instance. You know, you've, you've had a really good taste of Tassie now. Uh, have you enjoyed that? Yeah. Learn, learning a bit about Tassie? I mean, that's – that. yeah, Tassie especially. I mean, you hear Jim talk about Tassie, you talk about Tassie. Anyone that has anything, that whole Myena crew is insane, Yeah, you know, and there's just so much to do down in Tassie and, like, the people down there are awesome. Um, and the real social side of it too, like, you always compare, compare it to Craig in Montana. In Montana, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, like, just what I imagine that to be. Um, yeah. And, you know, Tassie, you hear it described as a world-class trout fishing destination and to have it right there, it is... But it's not just Tassie, like you said, gear. Like I love 
new gear, new rods, the technology behind rods, reels, fly lines, all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, some people perceive it as being materialistic, but I think anything that makes your fishing more enjoyable and easier and more efficient is awesome. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Like people are genuinely thinking about this new stuff too as a solution, right? Yeah. Like there's always going to be that little 1% that's going to make it yeah. our time on the water that, that bit more fun really. Um, so the uh, now we're, we've, we're dipping our toe into competitive fly fishing. How is that, um, how is that faring for you? Good. It's less intimidating than I thought it was going to be. Um, I will, as much as I'm competitive, I'll always be nervous before a competition. Um, but I think just how welcoming everyone's been with the competition fishing, it's taken it away completely mm. from it. Um, you know, Karen Brooks, Erhan, Mark, who's just getting into it too, Mark Townsend, they've all been amazing. Finn McDowell down in Tassie. Yeah. Um, they're just so welcoming, open arms with everything. You yeah. know, these flies, these techniques. Um yeah, and it yeah, it's just awesome. And have you how have you found those techniques and developing those techniques so far? Ah, uh, good. Lock style is an amazing way to fish, just because it's so active. Um, you know, you can sit around in a dun hatch with a dry dropper on and just flop it out there and wait for a fish to eat it, or you can be actively looking for these fish. Just learning things like fanning your casts mm. too, and you know, changing retrieval rates every couple of casts. Yeah, um, that's something I never used to do. I used to just head out there and strip streamers at one speed, which Forbes would describe as really fast. That's why I catch so many redfin. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you, it just accelerates your learning so much. Do you feel that that um, fence of uh, like that barrier of of um, being more confident? It being more confident fishing a lake is, is slowly eroding. Do you feel like you're becoming more confident there yeah. on still water? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think when you do get a glamour day um, and you're putting yourself in a location with lots of fish, which all the lakes have lots of fish in them at the moment, they've all been stocked to hell, which is amazing. Mm. Um, yeah, it does help break down that barrier. It's just one of those things like fishing a river at the start's really hard, you know, it, you know, it, getting a drag-free drift and things like that. Um, yeah, it does break down that barrier. You yeah. just got to do it, right? The more yeah. you do it, the better you get at it. It's that simple. It I, I think it's like the, making the jump from conventional fishing to fly fishing yeah. in general. Once you catch your first fish, it's just all up, all downhill from there. So. Yeah. Do you think, you know, our, how do, our podcast, for instance, how does it fit into um, uh, maybe someone expanding on their fly fishing? I think the good thing about our podcast is there's something that caters for everyone. Mm. It's not just, you know, there's uh, like we did the lock style with Craig and people usually associate lock style fishing with competition fishing now, but it's a technique that can be used always. Mm. Um, but then there's, you know, how to fly fish saltwater flats with John Hankey, you mm. know, that opens up. There's brim flats down in Victoria, you know, people would have never people don't really consider that sort of stuff mm. how accessible it is yeah i think we have definitely touched on some items of gold within the podcast just real tidbits of information that are going to fast track someone's learning um, but ultimately going back to what you were saying that that time on the water and actually experiencing it hopefully i think what you're doing with the podcast is giving people that confidence to actually get out there with some confidence and get going in it. 
I think that's a big thing with the podcast. Like I've only been fly fishing for what, three years, realistically, four yep. years maybe, um, like properly actually fishing regularly. Um, and I'm still learning from these podcasts. You're still learning and you're, like you said, 18 years older than me and been fly fishing for how much longer. It Even if you're the best, you're still learning, right? So it's it should give people confidence, mm. you know? Um, like I've learned if this if this increases anyone's confidence, I've recorded a podcast with someone, taken those techniques, applied them on a lake and caught fish. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We both have. We both have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think almost every listener has. Yeah. Might know. sound really self indulgent to listen to the podcast that you just recorded. <laughs> oh yeah. And I hate hearing my own voice yeah, back. It's the worst. Everyone does. And so oh, why did I say that? Yeah. It's like, you know. Let's just not listen back yeah. to this one. <laughs> yeah, no. Whatever is in no, this. You're gonna edit this one. <laughs> no. We're just we're just pushing it out. Yeah. Unedited. Yeah. Raw and uncut. Peter yeah. Panopoulos. Um, that sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> edit that. <laughs> yeah, edit that cut. out. Yeah, flag that. Um, so the the future of fly fishing. Let's actually. Sorry, I've I've moved on. I did just want to um, also something new with your fly fishing. You're planning a trip to New Zealand. Tell us a bit about that. Okay, this is huge. This is like <laughs> I feel like talking about entering a new chapter to fly fishing. Um, Max has especially been you know big in this. Is like once you go, you're going to be back there every year. And I can already tell it's going to be like that. So, yeah, I'm heading over to New Zealand for 18 days next month with Forbes. And it's just like this is one thing that really gets me going about fly fishing. It's the planning of a trip, scouring maps. Um, what rivers can we fish here? How far up this road can we get? Does this river have fish in it? You know, is the Hawke's Bay region completely blown out? That's all stuff we can only look at so much from a map and from chatting to Kiwis and things like that, but getting on the ground, seeing these maps and then actually being there is awesome. Yeah. You look at a map of New Zealand and you wonder how it floats, don't you? Like there's just so many veins and rivers everywhere. Mate, it, it, yeah, it's like there's just water everywhere. Mm. You know, there's water everywhere in Australia too, but these are proper rivers everywhere. It's mm. not like a little creek. It's like a full-blown river. Yeah. Um, and it, do you feel like you've had a bit of an inside run getting some advice on, on getting over there? Oh, absolutely. From everyone. From yeah. you, Max, especially, uh, Peter Blackmore. You know, they've been, how many times have they been there? Max reckons he's been there like 6,000 times or something. <laughs> <laughs> was seven, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yourself too. But anyone can get this advice from us, right? Mm. Everyone here is willing to share and yeah. sit down and talk about um, talk about where you're going. Yeah. Um, Do you think um, uh, like asking the right questions is a big part of uh, developing as a fly fisher? Definitely <laughs> learning to ask the right questions, but also um, I think who you're talking to as well. Um, people that are a little bit more people that are a little bit more closed off about their knowledge, you'll have to ask them the right questions. But you know, you know me with giving away knowledge it's just like oh yeah go here and it's like <laughs> someone's secret spot that they've guarded for like 30 years <laughs> and then peter's just <laughs> giving just it, away. Give it away um <laughs> just make a note of that folks yeah uh, don't yeah, give me any the, the really closely guarded secrets maybe don't go telling peter yeah um yeah but that that knowledge is available to anyone through the fly fisher through fly stream i mean i've probably learned as much reading fly stream as i have speaking to people as well yeah um um, you know, the, uh, there's not really a lot of secrets out there anymore. You know, the, the fly fishing's growing, seemingly. Um, 
the resource itself, not not dwindling, but it's you know there's always going to be more pressure on these rivers and resources and lakes and what have you. Um, how do you how do you feel about the future of fly fishing with that in mind? I think you know you look at America, um, even New Zealand with the way their backcountry licences and things like that are going, I think they're actually good necessary measures um, and I'm very much in support of those day licences and things like that and having a lottery. As long as it's fair, mm. as long as it's not cost prohibitive as well, I think there's a real problem with that in America, in the UK, you know, locking up waters and having to pay thousands of dollars to fish some of them. Um, but I think... Yeah, it is a finite resource, definitely. But I think as fly fishers in particular, you know, we mostly practice catch and release. We have a responsibility to to lead the way with this stuff. I think spin fishermen can be a little bit more, and this is a very big generalisation, can be a bit, little bit more blasé with resources. I mean, I see it every day. Every day you fish the Goulburn, there's an esky filler. Mm. Anytime you walk to a pier on the bay, there's someone filling up their bucket. Yeah, um, taking more than they're taking allowed. more than they're allowed. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with taking your bag limit. That's why we have them. But if you're mm. taking more than you're allowed, come on. Yeah, but there's or so many size fish. All yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There's so many basic steps you can take just to look after a resource. Yeah, better. Like just don't leave any rubbish behind. Mm. Things like that, little things. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is just the little. And if everyone plays plays the game, then we're all good. But it's that, it's that ten percent that ruin it for everyone else, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think as a lot of the age distribution age dis- distribution in fly fishing is shifting more towards the younger generations, and we're all a bit more woke. Yeah, we're the woke caddis, <laughs> <laughs> the snowflake caddis. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not a Peter Knopfler's original. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is a great fly, by the way, the woke caddis. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, where that as the age distribution shifts towards us, we are going to be more conscious of of the impact we have on nature. Yeah. So uh, what do you think should be the priority for sustaining for sustaining healthy waters as time moves on, do you think? I don't feel like I'm that qualified to answer that question, to be honest. Yeah. But, but you, you kind of hope that there's scientists, peak bodies, government organisations that good, are thinking of this stuff. Good scientists, though, like liberal scientists that are very, you know, they're willing to apply their knowledge for and against. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are just like, yep, let's just lock recreational fishers out completely. That doesn't work. Mm. You know, people are still going to go fish anyway. <laughs> like yeah. They're going to break the rules. Um, yeah, I'm not qualified to answer that question, but I think just following the basics, don't leave rubbish. Don't leave your leader packet on the ground. Put your little snips of line, just shove them down your waders and pull them out at the end of the day and put mm. them in the bin. Yeah, You know, you look at the problem with microplastics at the moment. I did environmental science last year. This is like the only thing I remember. But like the amount of microplastics that fish, you know, consume mm. is insane. Yeah. Um, and that can all be solved by just making sure you take the rubbish home with you. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it, it all boils down to habitat as well, doesn't it? You know, like... Well, okay, yeah. You've opened another can of worms here. Logging, things like mm. that. Just sustainable logging and mm. not logging too close to catchments. It's a problem. Um, yeah. You look at 
the oh, there's that river down in Tassie that's next to that mine. It's terrible. Um, Queenstown. Queenstown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that? The Queen River, I think it is. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, all that stuff is, mm. yeah, like I said, not qualified to come. No. Yeah, but yeah, they should always be doing an assessment before anything drastic is done in these areas and catchments, right? Yeah, and and a, a non biased assessment too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you had a monster eighteen months, a lot of fishing, a lot of cool trips. Um, what's up for you for the next eighteen months to two years? What's what's on your agenda? Uh, I reckon New Zealand. Um. Tassie, um, Tassie, yeah. <laughs> um, being, lots of Tassie, yeah, lots of Tassie. Just being in uni, Tassie's so easy. Um, thanks to you, especially, <laughs> makes it easy getting in the car at the airport. And well, that's not me. That's just a vehicle and a shack. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you know, just it's so accessible, right? But also exploring more of Victoria. There's so much, so many more rivers out there than the Steve Owen. And the Goulburn and the Dalatite and the Hauka, so much water to see. But also the saltwater fishing. So Cocos, um, that's one place I want to get to ASAP. Um, back up to Hinchinbrook? Yeah, back up to Hinchinbrook. That, yeah, that's definitely on the cards. Um, that was amazing, seeing like 25 permit in one day. <laughs> <laughs> that are uncatchable. For your first permit trip. <laughs> Uh, very good, mate. Um, well, uh, you're famous now, mate. All six listeners have a, have a newfound Haven't respect Haven't we got seven now? Seven, seven listeners. I think because we got Craig on. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that bumped it up a little bit. That really boosted it, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mate, thanks for sitting down and telling us more about yourself. Um, how was my riz? Oh. Out of ten. Out of ten? Nine. That's you done, solid. You've done well. Yeah. yeah. You'll take that. Yeah. Let's stop that recording. Wins <laughs>